Hello and welcome to the History of Judaism, the History and Story of the Jews, told from a Jewish educated perspective. I'm Yossi Silverman, a Jewish educator, Israeli tour guide and student of traditional Jewish texts. Last time we discussed Abraham or Abraham, the first Ivri or Hebrew, and his story. This week we're going to put into some kind of historical framework the whole story. We're going to discuss different schools of thought, the historical issues with the text, and what are our options for when this story occurred, and what was life like. I have to highlight a contradiction in my theme. I said I was going to tell the story from a Jewish perspective, and then I said I was going to tell the story from an educated perspective. And last time I even introduced some academic conventions. Now there is a conflict between some Jewish thought and academic conventions. Please take note so as to not become misinformed. The academic opinions and the findings that I shall be discussing, many of them have absolutely no basis whatsoever in Jewish thought. They may be taken on by many Jews, but they're not as such Jewish ideas. As such, they don't even necessarily reflect my opinion. So let's get going with the main schools of Jewish thought. School number one, the fundamentalist approach. That's not the orthodox approach, so as not to confuse it with a specific ideology. Though it is a view held by many orthodox Jews. I'm also not going to call it the traditional approach. It is the name of another school. The approach is, many Jews have in previous generations upheld the innate historic truth of the Torah, the Jewish Bible. There's absolutely no need whatsoever to verify this with secular academia. The only sources that one needs to discuss Abraham or any character in the Torah is the Torah itself and rabbinic texts, period. That's the school. By the way, I call it the fundamentalist approach. Uh, that's not a value judgment. I'm not trying to associate this with people with funny headgear and long beards. It's just people who stick to what they believe are the fundamentals of a religion. School number two, the radical school. Yeah, yeah, you think radical, you think guys running around wearing berets, Che Guevara t-shirts, all that. Actually, the, this school, not that radical, really. Is pretty much an academic orthodoxy and it's held by many history, archaeology and Bible studies departments all over the world. What's the idea? Well, when you have no evidence to talk about a uh, person or a subject, then you don't sensibly talk about it. Seeing as there is no evidence for certain characters like Abraham, so they didn't exist, no point talking about them unless you want to talk about them in terms of literary characters. School number three, the traditional school. Let's not get confused about the traditional school. It's not that traditional. We think about tradition, lots of things are being advertised as traditional these days, traditional bread, traditional hats. Well, this is not really that traditional. It's not the approach of Orthodox Jews. It doesn't really cover people who would call themselves, oh, I'm just a traditional Jew. This school, which has petered out recently, really just holds that you're trying to synthesize modern archaeology with the tradition. 
meaning the Bible. You're trying to put the Bible in a historical setting. The Critical School, number four, claims that the Bible is a historical text and it's based on actual events and these events might be composites of many different events that got garbled through time and broken up into little pieces and stuck back together with historical glue. They also believe the same is true of the characters in the Bible, not necessarily real characters, just kind of mixtures, composites of many real and imagined people that possibly existed. Now, I'm talking about these schools, and just to confuse you even more, many academics I've met, they don't exactly fit into one school or another. They tend to debate the issues like we're going to discuss next. So, after we left off last week with the destruction of Sodom and the communities of the Jordan Valley, and God's decision to include Abraham in the divine thought process, next, God engages Abraham in a covenant called the Covenant of the Parts. At the end of the ceremony, God tells Avram that his children will be strangers in a strange land for 400 years before they return to Canaan. Meaning, they'll go down to Egypt, they'll be strangers, then they'll come back to Canaan. And we know this is the story of the Exodus. Ridley Scott did a nice movie about it recently. Great! So all we have to do, is we have to find when the Exodus was, we count back 400 years, and then we estimate the numbers of years between Abraham and his great-grandchildren who went down to Egypt. And bingo! You've got a date for Abraham, right? Right? Okay, good. There's no date for the Exodus. Bother. Okay, we'll count back from the last verifiable piece of history. Okay, let's say, let's think of a verifiable piece of history. I'm going to say Sennacherib. He's a king from 600s BCE. There's about 400 years of Israelite history, meaning between Sennacherib and the Israelites appearing on the scene, probably from Egypt. And all it takes 200 years before that for these people to actually get into the land to conquer it. So that puts us in the mid-1200s BCE. Now let's say 40 years of wandering, that brings us to 1300s. Then 400 years of exile, strangers in a strange land. Let's add that up. 1700s, about that. BCE, then three generations of people who live a shockingly long time. Uh, if you're still with me here, well done. Good, hang in there. That brings us to the 1900s BCE. Everybody happy? And some people are. And we can call them the followers of the traditional school. There are discrepancies between when kings lived, when the Bible says kings lived, and all we need is the Torah, the Jewish Bible, using confusing language, which, uh, guess what it does? And we've lost a hundred years in either direction! In addition, people claim this is in entirely circumstantial evidence. And then some people claim that it relies on you trusting the text. Most academics nowadays, they follow a multi-authored text approach. That's anathema in orthodoxy, that means bad. What does the multi-authored text approach mean? They don't take a literal view of the chronology anyway. They say because many different people at different parts of history wrote the Bible, uh, this is probably what we call the critical approach or the radical approach, then you can't really stick to one chronology. 
One possibility places Avram as being middle to late Bronze Age story. That would be traditional school, some of the critical school. Let's not bother with the radical school, they just say it didn't exist. This correlates with my first school as well, which is the fundamentalist school. They actually have different rabbinic texts which pin Avram down in the 1900s BCE. Now, according to scripture, Avram makes a treaty with Avimelech, the king of Gerar. Okay, I'll say it normally. The king of Gerar at a well in a town called Beersheba. Great, great, good, right. All we need to do, we, we can find Beersheba, it's a town in Israel, dig down and we can see how many things from the middle to late Bronze Age that we've got there. Maybe we can find something to do with Avram, right? Okay. Uh, uh, no, that's not okay. If you go to the old mound, the Tel Beersheba, it's a, it's a national park. It's open to the public. How many things from the Middle or Late Bronze Age is there? None. There's Neolithic. There's Iron Age. Nothing in the Middle to Late Bronze Age! Uh, one answer to say is, well, maybe if we've uncovered most of the surrounding area, we might find stuff from the Bronze Age. Oh, if people were nomads, maybe they're not going to leave much evidence of settlement. And one critical school approach is to say, maybe that story of Abraham, that's Iron Age anyway. Oh, great. At this point, anybody who's expecting me to give you a straight answer, um, this is one of the themes of this podcast. Ha, no straight answers for you today. This leads me to another very serious issue. According to many archaeologists, notably William Foxwell Albright, one of the founders of biblical archaeology, there are discrepancies in the archaeological findings. Certain things that should be there if the Bible is said to take place in the middle of the late Bronze Age are not there. One example. Camels. I've given up counting how many times camels appear in the story of Abraham. So... Quick question to you guys out there. How many camel bones are there that can be dated to this period? None! And by the way, you can date camel bones. None! No camel bones! No pictures of camels! No camel artifacts! No camel saddles! No related camel stories that have been written down that we can relate to this point in history. The best we have is pictures of men hunting wild camels in Mesopotamia from this period. The academic convention is that camels were domesticated in the very late Bronze Age or early Iron Age. And one more thing, sir. You know Avram's tent from last time? Yeah, no tents. So many people treat this as a mixture of traditions. Many people say it's, it's Iron Age. Now, the traditional school does stick to the argument. We haven't un uncovered everything in the Middle East yet. We can't say for sure. Uh, I also want to go in a slightly different direction now. So have a look at, quick look at the linguistics. The word camel. So camel in Hebrew, very similar to camel in uh, Akkadian. They're both gamal. And uh, both languages founded on a three-consonant root idea. So, if you have the word shomer, meaning guard, in Hebrew, you can have the word shmirah, meaning guard duty, 
or shamor, meaning just keep. So gamal in Hebrew, connected to ligmol, to reward, or pay back, and gmula, recompense, gamla, meaning benefit. So maybe it's like a animal that benefits or carries benefits. So that could be anything. That could be a donkey. That's sticking my neck out a bit. I'm not that much of an expert to create new things. So let's say for argument's sake, we're going to say that his middle to late Bronze Age is not very clear. So, in a quick historical roundup, if I was to use one word that would describe life in the middle to late Bronze Age in this area, what word would I use? Writing. Writing. People start to write 3000 BCE and it really reaches a peak at this point. The the Code of Hammurabi is written in 1900. The Epic of Gilgamesh, 1200. People are writing all the time. Writing enables civilization. It enables cities. People are starting really big cities. Uh, by the way, we might not have sources talking about the names around this time. Do we have sources talking about the cities and the place names? Absolutely. There is an Ur. There is an Akkad. There is a Haran, there is a Beersheva. These are all places, these are all things easily recognisable. Um, another word, money. People have started to use money, in no, most noticeably the shekel, which is a phrase used in the Bible as well. That is a circle of silver, basically a day's wages. What does money enable us to do? Trade. There's a lot more movement. There's movement along the... The fertile area following the rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris, all the way to the coast. It's called the Fertile Crescent. That's where Av the route Avram follows. And it's like a land bridge. Canaan is a land bridge connecting Africa and Europe and Asia. So we have this story of Avraham moving from Mesopotamia to the Levant. Well... That's a familiar one. That's a lot of things which are going on at the moment. And that's really, I'd say, in essence, our background. Next time, I'm going to finish the story of Avram up. Now, next time, I'm going to finish up the story of Avram. We're going to focus on him as a specific ethnicity mixed up in lots of other ethnicities in the region. If you want to find out more, I've got posted some maps and helpful charts on my website that's scoutisrael.com there's also going to be some bibliographies and charts there feel free to visit itunes and post a review i'm yossi silverman licensed tour guide and educator this is the story of judaism and you've been good.